Jesus echoes the commission of God in Genesis 1:28. Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all the world and be fruitful and multiply through teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded. In a nutshell, love God and love each other. In doing this, God's kingdom spreads and advances. Today, 31.5% or 2.2 billion people of the world identify as Christian. Where God rules in the hearts of people, there you will see his kingdom at work. The church is the reestablishment of Eden. There are places all over the world where the church is doing God's will in earth as it is in heaven. There are pockets of the Garden of Eden, God's rule, in almost every country. Incidentally, Jesus says that he will return to the earth when every nation has had a taste of Eden. Jesus says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Matthew 24:14. Good to have you here today, and we are talking about the Garden of Eden, which is actually the kingdom of God, and we've been talking about that for the last few weeks. Next week is the last in the series, and we began in the book of Genesis, and so next Sunday we end up in the book of Revelation. The story of the kingdom of God begins in Genesis, and it ends in in Revelation, and it actually ends talking again about the Garden of Eden. Now, here's what we do know. We, don't, we, we do know this, and I'm going to demonstrate this to you this morning, that the Garden of Eden is represented today in the church. You're going to see what that means in just a moment. And uh, numbers of people have tried to figure out where the Garden of Eden is. There's all kinds of documentaries out on the subject. You can go on YouTube and see that. I don't recommend it because it's nonsense. Uh, however, I will say this. I found this quite interesting. Uh, numerous early leaders in the Mormon church taught that the Garden of Eden was located in, drumroll please, that's really pathetic, <laughs> located in Jackson County, Missouri. So one more reason to go to Jackson County, wherever that is. I know where Missouri is, but they say that's where the Garden of Eden is. I don't, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why, but there it is. The Garden of Eden has caused many questions for us. We wonder what exactly it's all about. Uh, I will say this to you. The Garden of Eden, when we hear that, that title, we think of a, a beautiful place, a potent symbol of the beauty and the fulfillment of God's presence of communion with God, which was lost after the fall. And uh, we, we began the series talking about, about Eden. This is act an actual picture of the Garden of Eden. Thank you, Shauna, for laughing at my <laughs> weak joke. It's, a, it's an artist's rendition, but you, you get the feeling. It's a, it's a luscious, beautiful garden. And again, to the, in the, to the people of biblical times, they would have understood a luscious garden as a headquarters for the gods or for God. And then we talked about how God manifests himself on the mountaintop. Again, another place where the gods dwell. And, and you remember I talked about climbing Mount Olympus, and when I got to the, it took me two days to do it. Uh, when I got to the top, there were no gods there. And how many understand that this is a designated place, a place God designated, we call it Mount Sinai, and it's a place where, where 
Moses came and conferred with God. They were in, in council, in conference together, and God discussed with Moses his, his kingdom and gave to uh, Moses the Ten Commandments, which actually uh, represent the, um, the, what we would call the constitution of God's kingdom. Um, again, that is an artist's rendition. That's not an actual picture of Moses. Um, so Moses brings these commandments, these rules. There's 613 rules or regulations, laws that God gave to Moses to give to his people and said, this is how you're going to live as members of my kingdom. And, and then, we, and then we, we discovered that uh, God came down from the mountain. So God's presence was experienced in Eden in the garden, and then it was experienced the top of the mountain, Mount Sinai. And then it's discovered then we discover that God comes down from the mountain and he agrees to dwell in the midst of his people. So this is what we call the tabernacle, the, the whole arrangement, the, the outer fence and the inner tent. Uh, there's, there's the uh, altar and there's a wash basin there. And God is in the midst of his people and camped around the tabernacle are all the 12 tribes of Israel. So we get the picture. God wants to dwell once again, in the midst of his people. But then we said that God wants to go one step further than that. Not only does he come down from the mountain, he comes to, into the midst of his people as represented by the Shekinah glory, that, that column of fire. But then we said that actually God's will through Jesus Christ is that he would come and dwell within us. So let me, let me just go back for a minute. Can we go back for a minute, Poston? You see, oh, there was... Yeah, but not that far back. That's perfect. Uh, we see that pillar of fire. Now we see it actually over the heads of the, of the believers in the book of Acts. Now you can go and read that yourself, Acts chapter 2. Uh, we see now that God is not dwelling in a building. He's dwelling in his people. He's making it very clear that we are the dwelling place of God. And we're going to look at that further in just a moment. But let me just say this. This idea of the church, because really this is the church. These are this gathering of Christians who have the Spirit of God. We call this the church. How many know that this building is, this is where cross church meets, but the building is not cross church. The people who meet here are cross church because the people who meet here have the Spirit of God. If we all left here right now, this would no longer be the house of God. Does everybody get that? We, as God's people, and I'll demonstrate that to you in just a moment, we make up the house of God. Now, the interesting thing in my studies, I discovered that the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which has some 50 million adherents, uh, they decided in, in the year 333 AD that they were going to be uh, officially a Christian nation. And so they adopted Christianity as their official uh, religion. Now, the interesting thing about the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is that they believed, they understood this idea that the church was actually a little patch of Eden on this earth. They believed that, that, the, that, the, that the church was the Garden of Eden. And so what they did is they planted trees uh, around the church. So every uh, Ethiopian Orthodox church has what we call an outer courtyard, very much like the tabernacle. And what they've done is they planted trees. Now, 
I had, I'd never heard of this until I was doing this study, but apparently there's some 35,000 churches with what they call these church gardens or church forests. Uh, look at this. Uh, this is actually from Google Maps. It's a satellite view of, of a church forest. In the middle of that church forest, that's not a swimming pool. That is the, that is the roof of, uh, of an Ethiopian Orthodox Church. There's some 35,000 of these. And you can see these green patches throughout Ethiopia. And so what's happening now is scientists are now just beginning to study these reserves. But I want you to recognize something, folks. These early believers that go back over 1,700 years understood that their job as Christians was not only to, to facilitate a spiritual Garden of Eden, but actually to create a symbol of the physical Garden of Eden. And so we see these gardens throughout Ethiopia. Now, for some of you, uh, you have, you, you, you know, some of you maybe believe that tree huggers are nuts uh, or crazy people, uh, but I want you to know that really the very first tree huggers were in fact Christians. These were the first environmentalists. These are the first ones who understood that their job was to steward the creation. And actually scientists now are studying these, these ecosystems and they're discovering how critical they are to the health and survival of the nation of Ethiopia. And I say all this to say this. We go back 1700 years and we discover that the, that the church at that time understood that they were, in fact, a manifestation of the Garden of Eden on earth. Let's fast forward now and ask this question. How is it that the church became God's chosen people? How do we become the people of God? Because we read about Israel being God's chosen people. We read about Israel being the people of God. How is it that Christians can say, well, we too are the people of God? Well, there is a, an ancient prophecy from the prophet Hosea who foretells the coming time when God would, would widen his, his borders and include certain people that he calls the crop of Israelites. He says, at that time I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will sow love to those I called not loved. Remember, in the Jewish mind, people who were not Jewish were people who were not loved of God. So this is revolutionary stuff that the prophet's speaking here. And God says, and to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people, and they will reply, that is us, and we will reply, say it with me, you are our God. Fantastic. How is it, folks, watch this, how is it that we become the people of God? Well, I'll tell you, it's very simple. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were evicted, they were kicked out for one reason, because they did not believe God and do what he says. Did you get that? Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden because they broke God's law. They refused to believe him and do what God says. Now watch this. We fast forward to Abraham, and Abraham becomes the father of a new nation, a nation called God's people. Why does God choose Abraham? For one simple reason. Abraham did 
what Adam and Eve did not do. What did Abraham do? He believed God and did what God said. And the Bible says that God counted that as righteousness. Now let's fast forward a little bit. And we find throughout the Old Testament that the way to please God is through faith. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. In other words, without believing God and doing what he says, you can't please God. And so we fast forward then from Abraham all the way to the New Testament, and here's what, here's what the Bible says. That if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God's anointed one, the one that God has sent to us, if we believe God and do what he says by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, then we shall be saved. This is what God's talking about. I will plant a crop of Israelites. Who are these Israelites? It's everybody who believes God and does what God says. Are we getting this? This is what it means to belong to the kingdom of God, to belong to the church. You believe God and you do what he says. And God says, if you will believe me and do what I say, then you will be my people. You were once not loved, you were once not my people, but now you are loved and you are my people because you obey me, because you believe me. This is what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about God's people, his church. And I'm going to say this. The new dwelling place of God on earth is actually not in a building. It's not in a tabernacle, not in a temple, not in a church building. It's in his people. Does everybody get that? And so we, we, we understand that uh, the kingdom of God is in people. Look at the apostle Paul says. He says, he says this. Don't you realize... Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. Does everybody get that this morning? If, if you are a Christian, if you're not a Christian, well, then you, you don't have this experience. But if you are a Christian, if you have truly believed God and you do what he says, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then the Bible says, uh, just like the picture showed of the, 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 the presence of God over the believers, the Spirit of God will come upon you too and will dwell within you. Now the reason God does that is because God now has equipped us, has, has enabled us to be his kingdom people, his kingdom agents. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. And individually, everybody who's a Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within him or within her. Corporately, it says this. Now, look, at individually and then corporately. That means together. That's all of us. Peter says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Let's just stop for a moment. Think about that. Each one of you here today, if you are a Christian, is a living stone that when put together creates a temple, a spiritual temple. And you notice it's called the spiritual temple. When put together, we are a spiritual temple where God dwells. So that person beside you, look at that person beside you. That is a stone. And hopefully he's not stoned, but a stone used by God to create a place for his spirit to dwell. So I want you to stop and think about this for a moment. This is very, very profound. When you and I gather together as the church of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God's presence joins us. So this morning... Whether you know it or not, God is here. He's here to meet with you. He's here to help you. He's here to relieve you of stress, of pressure, of fear. He's here to empower you, to refresh you. Watch this. He's here today to meet with us, 
to confer with us. To, we're in conference with God. We're here to, to hear what he's got to say. As God's kingdom people, we are actually in session with him. We're here to find out what he wants us to do. We're here to hear his voice. We're here to say, God, what is it that you want us to do? And hopefully before you leave here today, you're going to find out what you need to do. You'll notice that whenever I preach, I don't just give you information. I tell you what to do with that information. I tell you what you need to go from this place to do. Because having more knowledge doesn't help anybody. The Pharisees, the Bible says, were experts in the law, but yet Jesus called them a brood of vipers, of snakes. So having lots of knowledge is not going to get you anywhere. What you need to understand is that we need to be doers of God's word, doers of God's will. Now, we understand that, that individually we have the Spirit of God in us, and then when we come together, we actually, look at this, it's the convening of Eden. Isn't that cool? Hannah, when you came to church this morning, you didn't realize it, but we are convening Eden. It's the... It's the Eden Convention, if you want to call it that. We're getting together. God's here, and he's here to teach us, to instruct us, to guide us, to give us instructions. Now watch this. The church, then, is actually God's kingdom here on earth. It's his new dwelling place. Now look at this. If, in fact, we are the kingdom of God, who is our king? It's, thank you, Hannah. Who's our king? Jesus, thank you. Jesus is usually the right answer to every question. Um, but that's right. Jesus, Jesus is our king. Who are we? We are subjects of the kingdom. We are called to do whatever the king tells us to do. Now, now I, I want you to hear this very carefully. It's really important that you get this. Uh, when we pray, we pray a prayer that Jesus taught us. And Jesus said, whenever you pray. Anybody pray here? This is four of us, six of us, eight, nine... And there's a few of us that pray. Okay, here, here's the thing. A lot of people don't know. Jesus said, whenever you pray, here's what you need to pray. So in other words, you can't just pray any old way you want. You have to pray the way Jesus tells us to pray. And I've got people still asking me, Pastor Alan, I still don't know how to pray. So the good news is that in January, the end of January, we're going to do another series on the Lord's Prayer. We're going to actually teach you how to pray this prayer. And not only that, but I'm going to teach you the significance of it. Because most people don't understand that this prayer that Jesus gives us, the Lord's Prayer, is actually kingdom code. It's a, it, he's, giving us, he's giving us insight into the way that God is working in the supernatural realm. How many know that God's working behind the scenes in ways that you don't know about? But the problem is that most people don't understand what he's doing. Some of us were praying, and we just said, God never answers my prayers. God doesn't, doesn't do anything I tell him to do. I come to God with my, with my list of, of requests, and he doesn't seem to answer any of them. What's wrong with God? Nobody says what's wrong with me. It's, it's God. It's always God. Is, he's, he's got the problem. Why isn't God answering my prayer? Why isn't he doing what I tell him to do? And how many understand <laughs> that we don't come to the king and tell the king what to do? How many know that? As his subjects, we come to the king, and what do we do? We say, King Jesus, tell me what to do. And so Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father... 
who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Okay, stop there. Thy kingdom come. What, what, what are we praying? We're praying that God's kingdom would advance on this earth. How many people are praying that? And then he's saying, pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does God do that? He does that, watch this, through his kingdom. That's you and that's me. We are the ones that get his will done. So watch this. This changes everything in your prayer life. When you come before God and you pray, you don't say, God, this is what I want you to do. You're coming before the king of kings. You're coming into the throne room of God, and, and you're saying, Father, show me what you want to do here. What do you want to do here? What do, Father, my marriage has got problems. What do I need to do to get this sorted out? So we're not telling God what to do. We're f- listening to God. We're inviting God to tell us what to do. How many are willing to do that? God, I got problems with my kids. How should I resolve this? God, I got problems at work. God, I got financial issues. What we're doing is we come before the King of Kings and we say, Father, I want to be faithful. I want to be a faithful servant in your kingdom. Tell me how to get these things resolved so that I can do your work. And hopefully, folks, your prayers will go beyond you. Hopefully, you'll, be, you'll get to the place in your spiritual life where you begin to say, God, what do you want me to do for your glory and honor? What do you want me to do in order to bless other people? Because, God, I'm here to serve you. Now, I want you to see something. We keep talking about the Garden of Eden being here on this earth. Before Adam and Eve fell, the Garden of Eden was a place where heaven and earth met. That's, that's the intersection of, of heaven and earth was in the Garden of Eden. But when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam, we, we discover that, that Eden is split. We have a heavenly version of Eden and then the earthly version of Eden. The earthly version of Eden right now is you and me. And I'm going to teach you a, a very important theological concept that will revolutionize your reading of the Scripture. Because here's what we know. The kingdom of God is now, and it's not yet. Can you say that with me? The kingdom of heaven is now and not yet. Now, it's, it's the church. We're the kingdom of God. The not yet is what is about to happen, and we're going to talk about that next week. When heaven and earth, when Eden on, on earth and Eden in heaven come to back together again, as we read the last chapters in Revelation, we're going to talk about that next week. It'll blow your mind. It's, it's so exciting. But before that happens, we've got work to do right here on this earth, right here and right now. God has called us to do his work. Every time, folks, you go into prayer, you are actually entering, watch this, you're entering into the heavenly Eden. Did you get that? We, as, as earthly, earthly subjects of the king, are entering into the kingdom, uh, are entering into the throne room of the king. That's the Eden in heaven. Okay, watch this. Don't, don't panic, because I'm going to explain it to you. When Jesus was hanging on the cross... There's two, two criminals on either side of him. On one side, he had a criminal who was mocking him and putting him down and saying, you know, you're, if, you're, if you think you're God, then come down from the cross. The other 
criminal, says, how dare you say such things to this man who is innocent? And then the, the man says something very, innocent, very interesting to Jesus. And it, it's something I puzzled over when I was younger. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. The kingdom and paradise are one and the same place. This word paradise, folks, in, in the Greek actually is not paradise, because paradise is a Persian word. It's not a Hebrew word, and it's not a Greek word. It's a Persian word uh, from Iran, Iranian word. The word there is actually park or garden. And so we get a glimpse here of what Jesus is saying. I assure you, today you'll be with me back in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden is the kingdom of God. And when we get to the book of Revelation, the kingdom of God, that is Eden in heaven, joins the kingdom of God, the church, here on earth, and becomes one. We're going to see that next week. But you need to understand, when we talk about paradise, we're talking about the place where God rules, God's, God's holy presence. Paul, when he talks about the visions he's having of God and how God's revealing to him the mystery of the ages and how God's plan was to, to, to take in all the nations, not just Israel, but take in all the nations, Here's what, what Paul says. He says in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 4, he says, I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. Paul, Paul's describing being in the throne room of God in the heavenly Eden. It just sends chills up and down my spine. It's, the paradise he's talking about is actually the Garden of Eden. And then we fast forward to Revelation 2.7, and the revelator, John, through Jesus Christ, says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's all the collection of churches around the world. To him who overcomes, that is, to, to him who remains true to the King of kings, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Where is the tree of life? Well, here it says, the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. But we know where the tree of life is. It's in the Garden of Eden. Folks, this is our destination. As Christians, when we die, we will be brought back into the Garden of Eden, back into the presence of God. And I'm going to tell you this, folks. The Bible says that flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, God's death penalty was this, is that if you take the fruit, you will die spiritually and you will die physically. And this is why Jesus tells Nicodemus, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, what must you do? You must be born again. The old body dies and is buried, but the good news of our faith is that you and I will be resurrected and the Bible says we will be given brand new bodies. Can someone say hallelujah or something? Wow. I'm, what I'm doing for you folks is I'm drawing it all together, helping you to see the theme from Genesis right through Revelation. Nothing has changed. 
I told you about that Jewish writer, Andrew Claven, who said, I didn't understand the Old Testament. It wasn't until I began to read the New Testament and began to understand the Christian teaching that I began to understand the Old Testament and the, and the Jewish teaching. You and I, folks, are part of the kingdom of God. Now, what do we do with this information? Because here's, what, here's the, the big mistake that everybody makes. Pastor, this is so exciting, so interesting. Give me another remez, uh, as we learned last week in Genesis chapter 5, and how in the, the very names of the, of the patriarchs, we see God's message of the coming of a Savior. That was so thrilling, so exciting. But watch this. It's a big mistake, folks, if all we do is keep cramming information into this brain of ours. God never intended that we would just be doctors of theology, that we would be brilliant scholars. We don't need any more brilliant scholars. What we need are people who will get busy doing the work of the king. And what does the king want us to do? The king, Jesus Christ, wants us to advance his kingdom. You say, Pastor Allen, what exactly does that mean? Well, I told you last week, we're not talking right now about a geopolitical kingdom. We're talking about a spiritual kingdom. We're talking about the hearts of human beings. And when we advance the kingdom of God, folks, we are touching people's hearts. Some of you sitting here today are relatively new Christians. The, the king of kings has conquered your heart and now reigns within you. Next week, we're going to be baptizing, I think, five or six people. People who have been rescued from darkness into the kingdom of God. I want you to look at this. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, God's purpose was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's God's plan to reach this whole world through the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to look at this. Look at this. This is, this is crazy. You go back to 100 A.D., for every one Christian, there were 300 and, I think, 360 people who were not Christians. You fast forward now 2,000 years, and here's what you're going to discover. For every one Christian, there are now only seven unbelievers. Did you get that? This is how much the kingdom of God has advanced on the earth. The only way that it's advanced is that God's people in his kingdom have been busy sharing their faith, busy advancing the kingdom. I'm going to ask a question. How many people here today know people who don't know Jesus? You can or you don't have to put up your hand. If you are a Christian and you know people who do not know Jesus Christ, Jesus wants you to share your story with them. Jesus wants you to introduce them, wants you to, introdu wants you to introduce him to them or them to him. When's the last time, as God's kingdom people, did you last tell somebody about your Jesus? When's the last time? 
that you invited someone to church. Because really, when you invite someone to church, you're not just inviting them to this space. You are inviting them into the Garden of Eden. Tell your friends that, hey, would you like to come to Garden of Eden with me this week? We have two gatherings on Sunday, 9.30 and 11.15. Come to the Garden of Eden, and God will be there. And you can guarantee them that God will be here. And you can tell them, and God will speak to you. God's here at the Garden of Eden, and he wants to speak to you. He's, he's got things he wants to tell you. It's going to blow your mind. Well, if they've never been to church, that should intrigue them. Because this is exactly what's happening right here, right now. God is here, and he's speaking to you through his word. He's telling you that he wants to use his church to fulfill his will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, something here I want you to, to think about. This, this has ramifications. Have you ever heard anybody say, my faith is a private thing? Anybody ever heard that? Maybe you've said that. I don't really discuss my faith with anybody. You have to look at this verse, people, and, t and you recognize that that statement... My faith is private is absolute nonsense. God is using his church to display to the heavenlies, to all the spiritual beings, the devil, the demons, all the angels, and to everybody here on this earth, his marvelous plan for the world, and that's to invite people into his kingdom. So you can't say anymore, my faith is private, I just keep it to myself. That's utter nonsense. That's absolutely not compatible with Scripture. Here's something else you can't say anymore. I've heard this many times. People will say to me, and you've heard it too, um, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Has anybody heard that one? I'm going to tell you, that is, again, patent nonsense. There's nothing in Scripture that could support such a notion. I'm going to tell you this, if you are a Christian you go to church. If you're not going to church, it's going to be because you have some kind of a mental illness or some kind of a fear of crowds or something. But if it, for every other, there is no other excuse. You have to be in church. You've got to come to Eden because God's here and he wants to speak to you. There's things God wants to tell you. You are here today to hear God's voice. And I'm going to tell you, if you're listening carefully, if you've been listening carefully, then God's been speaking to you and he's been telling you things. And the big thing God wants you to know is that you have to get off your death, your derriere, and you need to get busy. The king of kings has called you to serve, to get involved. You need to understand that there's a war on. And, and here's, here's, what, here's what we read here. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Did you get that this morning? Because I hear a lot of people say, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven, I'm a Christian. And yet their lifestyle doesn't match their profession. If you say that you're part of the kingdom of God, if you say that you're a Christian, then, then you're not living an immoral, impure, or greedy life. By the way, have you ever noticed how people will say, those Christians, they are such... Uh, you've heard that too. We know what the word hypocrite means. It comes from the word actor. So if you're an actor this morning, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> if you're a hypocrite, you're an actor. 
That's really what we're saying here. In other words, you're, you're not being real. You're being false. Jesus says, if you're part of the kingdom of God, then you're not living an immoral or impure or greedy life. This is the standard of the kingdom of God. And this is why Paul goes to great pains to explain to the church in Ephesus how Christians live and what they don't do. Listen to this. He says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. This is Ephesians chapter 5. He says, such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories. Foolish talk. I mean, I remember when I was in Bible school, there's some students that were training for the ministry, but man, they were telling some pretty obscene stories and talking pretty foolish. Coarse jokes. These are not for you, Paul says. He says, instead, let there be thankfulness to God. And watch this. This blew my mind. And don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. When the people of God start living the way they're supposed to live as members of the kingdom of God, that will be a game changer. I believe revival will break out in North America. You and I need to start living the way God has called us to live. You and I need to start taking measures to protect ourselves against Satan's attacks. This is why Paul tells the Ephesians in, in chapter 6, you've got to put on the full armor of God to protect yourself because there's a spiritual war going on, people. Paul says we're not wrestling or fighting against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We're wrestling against this dark world and against evil spirits. Folks, there's a spiritual battle going on, and I'm going to tell you what the battle is for. It's not geopolitical. Satan doesn't care who owns which property and which country invades which country. He doesn't care about that. I'll tell you what Satan does care about. Who's got control of your heart? Does God have control of your heart, or does Satan have control of your heart? The kingdom of God is in our heart. And so you and I have got to do everything in our power to protect our heart because that is where we find the Garden of Eden. Are you taking care of your garden? Or is your garden littered with all kinds of garbage and corruption and greed and impurity and immorality? There's no place for that in your heart because that's where the Spirit of God lives. Folks, if you and I are going to get serious about being God's kingdom people, then you and I are going to have to understand that we need to obey him. The last words that Jesus offered before he left this earth, here it is. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all what? Authority. There's that word authority again. Authority, uh, governorhood, rulership. In heaven and on earth, therefore, Jesus says, Jesus is declaring he's the king. He says, I've got the authority. I'm, I'm the king. I've got the authority to rule. And I'm telling you now, as my kingdom subjects, what you need to do. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands 
I've given you. Did you notice it doesn't say just teach them? It says teach them to obey. Jesus is saying go and teach people how to follow me. This is why, folks, we teach the seven habits. Some of you haven't embraced them yet. Some of you just say, well, that's not for me, or that's an interesting idea, or there's a few of those habits I think are interesting. And by the way, if you don't know what the seven habits are, just ask an usher after the service. They'll give you a copy. The seven habits are simply simple guidelines to help you live as kingdom people. As kingdom people, what do we do? We walk with God every day. By the way, did you know why we use the word walk with God daily? Because that's what you do in the garden. You're walking with God every day. Secondly, you're going to church every day. Why? Or every Sunday. Why? Because that is the Garden of Eden. And then we say, moment by moment, holiness. What are we doing? We're saying, God, we are your kingdom people. And moment by moment, we want to do your will. Listen to me. Listen, you have got the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And the moment you walk out these doors, you are on assignment from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's got work for you to do. There's people that need to hear about Jesus. And are you willing to do that? There's people that need your love, that need your help, that need your attention, that need you to give, that need you to share. You are his kingdom people, and you've been called to go into the world. And we teach you, you need to meet in a small group. Why? Because that's every time you meet in a small group, you're convening Eden. You're, it's a gathering of Eden. I'm going to tell you, we have, a, we have a Garden of Eden at our house on Sunday nights called our small group, and we love it. We're nourished, we're refreshed, we're encouraged, we pray for one another. And then the Bible says that we're supposed to serve. <laughs> you and I have been called to be, to be priests, a royal priest. So what is a priest? You think of a priest, you think of someone with a collar. No, 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 no. A priest is somebody who ministers to God and ministers to one another. That's who we are. The kingdom of God is here. He's here. God is here right now. And he's speaking to us. God needs you to go and tell people about Jesus. Acts 1.8, Jesus says to his disciples, the last words before he leaves the planet, he says, and you are going to go and be witnesses to me where in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What's he saying? You don't, need a, you don't need a college degree or a doctorate or a master's degree to tell people about Jesus. All you have to do is say, here's what Jesus has done for me. I'm a big believer. I love what Jesus has done for me. Some of you this morning have brought friends to church. I know I met somebody out in the, in the atrium before the service started. This is my friend from school. I don't want to embarrass anybody or point anybody out. This is what we do. We go and witness. We tell people about Jesus. This is not optional, folks. This is what the King of Kings has told us to do, and we go and do it. We need you to give. Oh, Pastor Ellen, I knew you were going to get around to asking us for money. Look it. The kingdom of God advances in the power of God. But watch this, folks. Listen, this is really important. God has given us the privilege of partnering with God in advancing his kingdom. And when we ask you to give, we're only asking you 
to help us advance the kingdom. Look at him. Did you think that when you gave money on Sunday or at the giving center that Pastor Allen was skimming a bit and putting it on offshore accounts and that soon when the money is big enough, I'm moving to the Cayman Islands? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> that ain't happening. My wife and I try to be the best givers in this church. I don't know if we're quite there yet because I don't check what everybody else gives, but apparently we're close to it. And the reason we do it, folks, is not just so I can say I'm the best giver, because I want to advance the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus has called me to do, to partner with him. And I'm going to ask all of you, as God's people, you need to be on board with this. This is why we have a membership. So we know who can we count on to help us advance the kingdom of God. We've got over 130 members of this church. And we, like we, we could get everybody, make everybody a member, but we don't do that because we need to know who we can depend on to help us advance the kingdom of God. Do you know at our membership meeting, we only had 50 people there? Like, I mean, about half, about half, the, half our membership. Look, I'm not putting guilt trips on anybody. But what I'm saying is I need to know that you are with me on fulfilling this great commission. Let me just close with this. You know, Dennis, I'm sorry, I keep mentioning Dennis Weeb, and I, I don't want to embarrass him, but, you know, when God called Dennis to go to Burundi, and we have a Burundian friend here today for the first time, so excited about that. When God called Dennis to go to Burundi to establish the Village of Hope, Dennis Weeb was on assignment from God. God said, this is what I want you to do. And Dennis said, yes, my Lord, yes, my King, I will do what you want me to do. And crazily, he goes to Burundi. He doesn't know anybody there, doesn't know what to do, but what he does is he goes into prayer. Remember what is going into prayer? Going into prayer is going into the Garden of Eden, into the presence of the King. He says, King, my God, show me what to do. Bring me the right man. And the next thing you know, God orchestrates this meeting between Dennis and Delson. And I haven't got time to go into the miracles surrounding that. But the next thing you know is that God now has used Delson, who also, who was Burundian, who was out of the country, and God called him back into Burundi at the same time that God sent Dennis to Burundi. Watch that. Coincidence? I don't think so. Answer to prayer by two of God's choice servants? Absolutely. And when they're there, they begin to confer, and the next thing you know, together they've established a village of hope, village of hope Burundi. But it gets better. There's a spinoff from that, folks. And I'm invited to go there to the Village of Hope, and I'm going to say, well, I'm a pastor, and what, what am I going to do there? So I figured, well, I'm a pastor. I can meet with other pastors, right? And so we started having pastors' conferences. And next thing you know, we've got pastors that say, we like what you're teaching, and we want to be part of your team. I said, well, let's be a team together. Next thing you know, we've established Cross Church Burundi so that now we've got 40 churches in Burundi, 40 cross churches in Burundi. And if you want to see the pastors, they're in this hallway on the bulletin board. Those aren't just good-looking people we put up there. Those are people, choice servants in the kingdom of God. 
And we met with Delson, and we said, Delson said, we, we need to buy some land so we can plant a church, and we need to have a headquarters for Cross Church Burundi. And so we sat down, and we figured out how much land he is. Denny, Denny and I were talking to him at the time, and we drew up plans. And I said, you know, you need a place where people can come as a retreat, as a getaway, as a place to meet with God. I said, like the Garden of Eden. That's this past summer. And the idea clicked with Delson, and he says to me now, he says, Pastor Alan, we got half the money raised for the Garden of Eden. And anybody heard that, they'd think he was out of his mind, but you get the drift. He's establishing a headquarters so that we can reach all of Burundi for the glory of God. We can plant churches. And now when he talks to us, he says, uh, we've got all the money now for, for the Garden of Eden. And I know exactly what he's talking about. This, my friends, is a snapshot of what we all need to be involved in. Dennis Weed did not go to Bible school. He's not got his doctorate in anything, as far as I know. But he has signed up to say, God, I want, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I think of my, my brother, Dr. Aaron Kim, going over to Kitway on these dental missions. Fantastic. And in other places as well. Got to get him to Burundi. Right, Dennis? Yes. What are we doing? We're advancing the kingdom of God so that heaven and earth will meet and so that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you that we are right here in the Garden of Eden. And we thank you, God, that you would come and dwell in our midst, that you would speak to us this morning. God, you're calling each and every one of us here today to be kingdom agents. As we walk out these doors, God, give us a sensitivity to your spirit because your spirit's living in us. And help us to obey that prompting. When you tell us to go say hello to somebody, when you ask us to do something kind, to phone somebody that we missed in church, to go visit somebody in the hospital, that we would obey you and do your will. And that if you should call us to go over to some country in Africa or Asia or Europe or South America, that we would say, yes, Lord, I'll go. I'll do what you want me to do. Thank you, God, that even those who are giving to the hamper drive that we want to do for up north, this is all part about advancing the kingdom of God. So we thank you, God, for your church, which is your kingdom. And we pray that as your kingdom people, we would obey our king. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Amen. Tell the person beside you, go obey the king.